Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christofferson here on Friday, July 22nd. BC, there's only a precious few days left before your, what, 45th season covering Nebraska football begins? Uh, yeah, I believe it was uh, Osborne era 76 when I started. Um, so, <laughs> are uh, you? what's, are what's you the math on that? To... I don't know. Are you, is it like 17 years for you at this point? Is that about right? Um, it's not it, continuous because you had a couple year break in there, right? As a day to day beat writer, uh, it would have been 2007 uh, was okay. my first year. I did cover the team as like a secondary guy at the newspaper back to 2004. And if you want to count college, which people always like to count the most, you know, they like to really sure. puff puff themselves up. Then my first season would have been 2000, I believe. Yes, 2000. That was my first time, like in the press box. Gotcha. As a college kid at the Daily Nebraskan covering uh, Frank Solich's team. So about 17, 18 years of, of football coverage, then, is what you're saying. It's around there, yeah. Some, some, somewhere around there. The day to day beat writer stuff, 2007. And of course, that was uh, the last year of Callahan, so that was a good like uh, baptism by fire for me. So your first time covering Nebraska as a as a full time person for the Journal Star, two thousand seven, Bill Callahan. You move over to twenty four seven Sports, twenty seventeen, <laughs> Mike yeah. Riley. Yeah, you That's understand that. if you leave here again to go cover anywhere else, that coach is immediately going to be fired. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to make this about me, but coaches should be, <laughs> they should be asking what my plans are every year. Just make sure they're, uh, they're, they're all right for another season. So, yeah. All right. Well, so 17, 18 years of coverage, that means like at least 15, 16 years of, of media days. Uh, what's your, what's your excitement level to get back to Indy? Media days is fine. Uh, media likes media days more than the general public does. I feel like um, there's... as a media member who despises media days, <laughs> I go opposite of that. Yeah, and you're. I think you're a wise man with that. But you would say there are media people. Oh yeah, who, who get yeah. pretty fired up, and they think everybody else is sort of fired up it's, about it too. It's got kind of a first day back to school vibe going for it. Mm -hmm. I think. And that's like the closest comparison because there's like this weird need for some to just kind of congregate and gather and discuss what the previous three months of not seeing each other had been like. That's that's kind of what it, it always sort of felt to me. Did, did you notice any difference with having it in Indy last year than the customary Chicago that we had grown used to? Um. I wouldn't say I preferred it one one over the other. Um, I, I mean, I always liked when it was at the Chicago Hilton in the ballroom where the final scene of The Fugitive was. Sure, yeah. Um, so that was always uh, nice for – you talk about people repeating stuff, and, like, that's me. Like, when we would go into that ballroom, 
you know, if I could find someone who could interact the final scene from the fugitive with me verbatim, um, that kind of got me kickstarted into the football season. Um, so without that, I felt a little empty. Uh, but you know, Indianapolis is cool. They do it on the turf where the, where the Colts play and the combine happens and all that stuff. And so, um, that's a nice, nice place. Indy's a nice city. Um, it has changed over the years though. Uh, the way it's covered, you know, locally, you used to go to the event when I first started and honest to goodness, I would like come back and write a story about like Dan Hawkins, like at sure. Colorado. Yep. Like you would actually sit by like one of the other teams for a day and you'd like, I'm going to learn about these guys and I'm going to come back and do all this. And then we realized over time, like only like 420 people read that story about Dan Hawkins compared to like, if you write about uh, what the Husker head coach says about who's going to be the starting left guard. And so uh, it's really shifted where, we're doing it all about Nebraska. All the everybody else is sort of just focused on their team, and it's always kind of funny to me because we could just go down the street and do the exact same thing that we're doing in Indianapolis, of course, uh, covering the the team that's uh, ten miles down the road from us. But uh, I'm not complaining. I just you know you just got to sometimes uh, snicker about how some things work. Yeah, I, I definitely remember the first time I went to a media days, and it was like. I'm doing stories on Mike Leach and Paul Rhodes and yes. you're, you know, you're down there and in Arlington. And I got to say that first media days experience was like absolutely phenomenal because it just seemed so cool to me that, uh, you know, and it was, it was really kind of like I had covered the spring, the, you know, the 2009 spring. And that was really my only exposure to covering the football team. So media days was sort of this big deal. And then the big 12, like really took care of the media members. I mean, they had like a stadium tour of the new uh, Jerry's world when that was being built. They had a suite for us at the uh, Texas Rangers baseball game. Yep. Uh, it was, uh, they, they really took care of us. And so then I remember like the first time I ended up in Chicago going to them and you're at the McCormick center, which just doesn't feel like you're even in Chicago anyways, because it's so big. It's like its own little suburb. And it was a completely different feel around Big 12 media days versus Big 10 media days. Uh, and like from that point forward, it's just gotten to where, you know, I'm very happy that I'll be sitting at home watching the television coverage, filling in whatever I can do for you and Brunts uh, back here at the command center. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a little Big 10 media days chatter. Let's let's talk about who Nebraska is bringing, because I don't think there could be any real complaint about any of these three guys they don't have someone that makes sense to bring as far as a quarterback but you've got three guys that are veterans three guys that are very very much entrenched into starting roles and three guys that I think represent Nebraska pretty well and Travis Vokalek at tight end and then defensive line or edge rusher Garrett Nelson and cornerback Quentin Newsom. so I, I think all three of these guys have you know all Big Ten potential BC and and I think it makes sense for Nebraska to bring them uh, next week yeah, and also Nebraska starts practice on Wednesday, um, a day after they appear at this event. So I don't know if this factored in. I'm not saying it did, but I think it would make sense or does make sense to take some guys who aren't going to cause a lot of commotion um, one way or another. Um, and I'm not saying 
certain guys would necessarily do that. But like, let's say they took Casey Thompson. Then you got sort of more of a carnival around the guy who hasn't um, yet taken a snap in your uniform. And everybody's asking him about the NIL comments he made. You know, they're recycling that if anybody else pops over in our little bubble. Um, And so I think you kind of avoid that stuff, you know, and it's just like, here's the nuts and bolts. These are guys who are going to talk about the nuts and bolts because that's sort of the mode you want to be in going into your practice the next day. Uh, Garrett Nelson's obviously a passionate guy um, who will, you know, represent the the school well. Um, I think Volkowicz interesting though too. I mean, um, we're doing our most indispensable Oscars list, and he's going to be in our top five, very high up there. Because if you look at his position group, um, a lot of questions behind him. They, they oh, yeah. have some guys who might step up. Uh, whether it be a Borkercher or A.J. Rollins or Brewington, whoever it may be. But there's definitely a 1A component to that tight end room and then a gap. And so it'll be interesting hearing Volklik, you know, talk about that. And then Quinton Newsom, they want him to be a leader in the secondary. They want him to take charge back there. And Travis Fisher has told him, you've got to be my guy this year. you got to be the man and sort of own that room. And uh, so it makes sense that he would be at an event like this where you kind of get that going with a guy where it's like you're you're out front for this team. You see that you're out front right here in Indianapolis and it's going to be that way all all through this season. Yeah, I mean, I I had Travis Vokalek, you know, at number two on that most indispensable Huskers list, because if, you know, something (laughs) happens to him, you're playing someone without a lot of experience or Chancellor Brewington's playing a lot of snaps at a, at a smaller body frame uh, as your number one tight end. So I, I think Travis Vokalek is, is really important. I also think, and I've said this, I've written this, I think there's a path where he could lead Nebraska in receptions this year, lead Nebraska in touchdowns. I think he could be a huge red zone target for him. Um, I, I think that, you know, with Mark Whipple, there's, there's a hope that they have a little bit better passing game going on in their red zone and a guy with that kind of frame and that sort of wingspan and, and those hands, I mean, you know, we're, we're both Vikings fans. Kyle Rudolph wasn't going to beat anybody with his speed, but you get down into the red zone and you got somebody with oven mitts that can go catch the ball. Uh, it can be really helpful for you. And I, I think Travis Vokalek can definitely, you know, be a pretty large impact guy on offense, even if he hasn't been to this point. So I, I think he makes a ton of sense being there. You mentioned Garrett Nelson is a passionate guy. I already have this mental image of him getting invited to like the, the little set that they have for BTN. And, you know, he's just, he's sitting up there holding court with their, the BTN people there for big 10 media days. Like I, I can see him having a, a really strong, like two to three minutes up there, you know, just dropping the quotes that you come to expect with him. Uh, you know, whether it's talking about Nebraska's beef production or, you know, just the, the really colorful nature that he goes about it. But, this is, you know, this was always a goal for Garrett Nelson. It was never expressly be part of Big Ten Media Days, but he wants and he he came to Nebraska with the idea that he wanted to be a focal point on defense. He wanted to be a leader for this team. He wanted to be in these sort of opportunities. And I think it's really cool that he's he's kind of getting that. It it feels to me, Brian, like it's been a little bit of a summer of Garrett Nelson, where I, I just I gather from a lot of people that he's regarded as one of the three best players on this team. I don't know that that was the case 
necessarily coming out of last season, but I think it's a realization that he's just been what you want, steady improvement each year, and there's a lot of hope for him going into 2022. He changed his body a little bit, and uh, he thinks he's faster. And, I mean, it looked that way in the spring game. Um, they couldn't block him. If you remember that first half, offensive oh, yeah. ta- Nebraska's offensive tackles had a miserable time <laughs> against him. And it kind of it was kind of funny because all spring it was like, oh, the whole line's kicking tail and, you know, knocking everybody around. And then Garrett Nelson sort of disrupted that storyline, it felt like, in about a quarter and a half of spring game action uh, with his pass rush. He's been vocal about the fact also he, he wants his team to average one more sack per game uh, than last year, which is a huge number and uh, a good goal, though, because if you look at last season, um, I think, you know, people make fun of me sometimes because I use the specific like they averaged 1.82 sacks or whatever it is. Um, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it was something it's, like that. It's like 1.69, I think, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, something yeah. like that. So, um, but that number, whatever that one point decimal is, it ranked uh, like Nebraska was like a hundredth or something, like in sacks per game. So what Garrett Nelson's talking about sounds large, but it also would put Nebraska more like in the, uh, you know, top 35, top 40, where you want to be in that category. And I think if you have a knock on Nebraska's defense last year, as stout as they were at times, I don't think they were disruptive enough behind the line of scrimmage. And that that's what you want to see Garrett Nelson help change. And I think you kind of hope that O'Shawn Mathis, Nelson, Caleb Tanner, all those guys sort of feed off the, I think, opportunistic matchups they might get because they've got these peers who are going to demand attention from the the opposition as well. So we'll see if that pays off. Yeah. And then I was, I was excited for Quentin Newsom to get the opportunity to go too. he's developed into being a pretty good interview and, and has developed into being a steady cornerback. I I think at times last year uh, he really held his own when he was called upon. I mean, teams ran at him, they threw at him. He was opposite of Cam Taylor Britt. So he had a lot of attention you know, come his way. And he held up pretty well. He did not finish with an interception, but I don't think the completion percentage against him was particularly strong. I I think he did a nice job when he had opportunities. I know that he wants to be more disruptive, come away with interceptions. I know a big thing for Travis Fisher, turn defense into offense. So that's, that's definitely a goal of his moving forward. But another guy that you're going into his his second year as a full-time starter, I think there's a, a potential that he could be a really good player for Nebraska. I I look at, you know, Travis Fisher and uh, a lot is made of how he goes about recruiting his room and like the certain things that he looks for and how everybody ends up, you know, invariably cross-training positions. But the entire recruiting industry was convinced that Quentin Newsom was a safety. And, <clears throat> and Fisher just said, no, 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 this guy can play corner. And I, I think that he's going to be an all Big Ten corner, BC, at the end of this year. I, I think that's the upside of Quentin Newsom, and I think he's going to get that done uh, for Nebraska. And so he's another guy that um, is is out here representing the Huskers that has high upside for 2022. You know what? You can tell a lot. I was thinking about this as you were talking. With Travis Fisher, guys who are in their first year in the program with him, he will give you signs that I really love this guy and he's going to matter. Um, and he did that with Newsom and Farmer, if you remember, when they first got mm-hmm. here. They weren't necessarily Buford. Yeah. Tommy, I think you go Tommy way Hill, back. Tommy, Tommy Hill, Hill right now. 
Um, Go way back to Cam Taylor Britt, the first uh, August where, you know, he was talking. Uh, he would talk about how Cam Taylor Britt was carrying himself like a veteran. He couldn't believe the the kind of intangibles that he was seeing. And then lo and behold, Cam Taylor Britt becomes a multi-year starter for you. Yeah. And Quentin uh, was definitely like that guy who, if you were paying attention the first year, Fisher would be like, he takes care of his business off the field on it. Um, and then last year, I think the question was when he got out there more, um, could he be physical? And, and teams did try to test him on that and see if like, can you tackle in space? Um, what kind of guy are you out there? And he held up pretty well, I thought. Um, but that is a, that's an interesting storyline with the, the secondary room. I mean, even Braxton Clark, who hasn't just jumped into the starting lineup, he's always sort of been on the cusp. And I remember Braxton Clark's first year on campus, uh, Fisher and fall camps, like, yeah, he's like my fourth guy right now. And we were like two weeks into camp. We're like, really, Braxton Clark right now? <laughs> yep. And uh, so, I mean, Travis Fisher forms strong first impressions on guys, and they tend to stick. And Quentin Newsom has always had that. Uh, been on the good side of that uh, conversation with his coach. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what what do you want to get from Scott Frost out of his media appearances, multiple ones that he'll have in Indy? Is there any specific, you know, question, talking point that you want to get to out of this? Or is there anything that you're, you're sort of anxious to listen to him um, discuss here at this point? I actually think the nuts and bolts are the most interesting to me out of stuff like this, because um, I don't know, we just pay so much attention to it 365 days a year where it's like, okay, we actually now have had some time away from the head coach. Give us some specifics. Like where's Turner Corcoran at have the head coach say it on the record, you know, like, is he left guard? Is that what's happening here? Um, It's, it's things like that. Um, you know, kind of sizing up. They've had some kind of interesting position moves that I think some people have put under the radar that are critical to this team this year, like Trent Hickson at center is a huge move that is going to have a big impact one way or another on this team. I mean, even Travis Fisher moving Omar Brown to safety um, going into fall camp and that competition there. Um but I, I think there's going to be a, a big interest in how is the blend working now? You've had, you know, two months or so since the spring where Scott Frost said they were very elementary in everything they did on offense. What's that looking like going into camp as far as your sort of daily interactions with Mark Whipple, with Mickey Joseph, with Ryla Applewhite, how that's all come together and how he actually feels about that on the eve of fall camp practice. That's what kind of adds to the excitement, I think, is that you know that Scott Frost is getting on a plane, going back to Lincoln, and it's game on the next day. It's not like a week in between or anything. And so I think you're going to get some thoughts of a guy who's totally, like, immersed in, like, camp already. Like, his mind's like, this is how we're attacking it. And, uh, you know, how he talks about that could be interesting. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Do you you feel like the Omar Brown move is as much about Omar Brown as it is about Tommy Hill sort of cementing himself in that spot? And so you, you might move a guy like Omar Brown to give you the best opportunity to get him onto the field while also keeping Tommy Hill and Quentin Newsom out there? Yeah, it could be. Um, I mean, I think they definitely want Tommy to play a lot. I think yeah. Travis Fisher thinks he's, I know he thinks he's like an NFL guy. And, you know, now it's a matter of just getting the reps. And <clears throat> they think he can be Cam Taylor Britt. I mean, they think he can be that and then some. That's, that Travis Fisher said that on the record. Um, Safety is going to be interesting, though, because a lot of upside there. You've got four guys in the conversation. You got Miles Farmer and Marquise Buford. And I would say if you said, what's your prediction about who trots out their first snap against Northwestern? I would pick those two. However, he really likes Deshaun Singleton. Yep. And Singleton at the end of spring camp came on strong. He was a little slow to start, but you might expect that at that position because they're processing so much. But Singleton is a guy that Fisher feels like can cover anybody. Like he's he's got corner coverage skills. Whereas that's the part where Miles Farmer is going to have to prove to his skeptics is people think he's a bigger guy. You know, is he going to be a little slower back there? Um, so he'll have to fend off some guys. And then I know you love Omar Brown. You can talk about him since I'm hacking up a storm a little bit. I'm trying to keep my cough at bay here. Yeah, no. Um, but Omar Brown, um, you've made the argument. I think I have too that he has as good a resume of the portal guys mm-hmm. of anybody they added from what he did at Northern Iowa. So you got to think he can factor in some way or another. Yeah, I, I think the big thing is how does he come back from his injury and can he be physical enough to play safety for you? at that spot. I mean, if, if Nebraska's focus is on, okay, we're comfortable with their tackling. Can these guys cover? Well, you already know Omar Brown can cover. He was an FCS, you know, defensive back of the year. He had seven interceptions as a freshman. Uh, he played in the best league um, up there. So there's a lot, I think, to like about Omar Brown. I think that his, his sort of ending at that safety spot, I think to me has as much to do about Tommy Hill and Quentin Newsom kind of just being where they are. And then Braxton Clark can kind of be a capable third swing guy if you need it. And then you, you can get Omar Brown, Deshaun Singleton, Marcus Buford, Miles Farmer. I mean, we know Travis Fisher loves having three, four safeties. You, you look at some of his years where guys have played well in the secondary, you had what it was Antonio Reed and, and Aaron Williams and Deontay Williams, you know, and then in 2020, it was Deontay Williams, Markel Dismuke, Miles Farmer, 
Uh, and that's what it was again in 2021. And so I, I think that when they can sort of have three guys and potentially four, it allows you to kind of work Omar Brown in there. You know, I don't know if his, his speed doesn't translate as well as a cover corner in the Big Ten as what it was at the FCS. But I just think that they're trying to find ways to get him on the field. And then Javier Martin is another guy that we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, he is, I guess, transitioning, playing between corner and safety. It sounds like Kane Williams is slowed by an injury right now. So that's why you're not hearing maybe as much about him. Um, so I, I think at that safety spot, you got a lot of names, you got a lot of intrigue. And then there's some young guys too that down the line uh, could be really interesting there as well. So I, I kind of like how Nebraska's defensive back sets up um, this year, considering how much they have to replace in Dismuke and Williams and Cam Taylor Britt and Jojo Doman. So you know, for as losing as many guys as they do, it feels like they're not in a bad spot there defensively, as opposed to maybe, you know, the the biggest question mark any of us have with this team, I think, at least on the defensive side of the ball, is can they stop the run? I mean, I think I, I feel pretty comfortable that they're going to be able to generate a pass rush. I feel comfortable that the defensive backs are going to hold their own. It's just that there's a big difference if teams can get to second and three versus, you know, second and eight or third and long versus third and short. So I, I think if Nebraska can, you know, hold up against a run early in, in the the downs, uh, it plays into the strength of where that defense is at right now. I really want to just see – it's been a long time, it feels like to me, since we've seen a truly opportunistic defense where um, – I mean, I'm not – I think Eric Chenander's done really good work and, you know, last year uh, they had some gems. I mean, the way they played against Ohio State and balled out in the second half against Michigan State, that's stellar defensive football. But I think where this defense, even if they're missing some of the parts like Doman from last year, where they could even the playing field and then some, be that group that takes the ball away multiple times a week. You know, be that group that, um, you know, bows up in the red zone and is like ranks in the top 20 in uh, red zone touchdown percentage defense. You know, if they're that type of unit, I think that's really as much as anything, what's going to get this program to another level where we're talking about that seven, eight plus win type team. Um, and I can't think of the last Husker defense where I thought they had that like knack for like, they're just going to steal the football from you. Yeah. And I mean, I think back to like, if, if we wanted just a specific example to put it in people's mind, like Polini's defense in 03, when he was the coordinator for Solich, like that, I mean, that's actually the one that pops into my head first is just a yep. group where you, you like knew they were going to take it away like three times a game. And um, it changed field position, it changed uh, momentum. And uh, that's what this group has to be. And you hope that the pass rush additions like Mathis and I think Caleb Tanner, who people are sleeping on that they're going to help that because they're going to put some, some chaos around the quarterback and force him into some bad decisions. All right. Well, speaking of chaos, Pat Narduzzi introduced a little chaos into the college football world when he went on a <laughs> podcast the other day and, you know, just fired a few stray rounds at Mark Whipple for whatever reason. It was weird. So, it was weird wasn't it? Yeah, well, what's weird is that none of his complaints as he outlined them matched up to what he said. I mean, you go look at 
at how they performed in that game against uh, Wake Forest. First of all, they won it by 20-plus points and scored 40-some points. Second of all, they had a pretty even split between how they ran and how they passed. Third, he said they were averaging like 10 yards a rush. They averaged like 3.9 if you take out a couple of kneel downs at the end. So, I mean, I I understand the reputation that Mark Whipple has. I still get a kick out of asking Andrew Ford, um, the former quarterback at UMass, his thoughts on how Whipple used you know, the running game when he was there. And he just kind of laughed and said, yeah, that wasn't like a real priority for us because we had Andy Isabella and Adam Brennan. And, you know, we're we're trying to throw the ball to those guys and get it into their hands a lot. And so I it you know, the book on Mark Whipple is that he gets the ball to his playmakers in the passing game. But it's not like this 90 to 10 split. Like, I don't I don't think Casey Thompson's going to leave the year throwing it 600 times. You know, I, I think there's going to be more of a balance there. It was just a, an odd commentary all the way around from our, from Narduzzi, who also basically boasted that if, if Pitt had played in the Big Ten, if if Michigan State is one of the best teams in the Big Ten, that they, you know, lost that game to Michigan State. But that if that's one of the best teams in the Big Ten, Pitt could easily go into the Big Ten and compete too. And it was just a, a weird, you know, podcast all the way around from a guy who doesn't really say much to begin with so i i found it bizarre you wrote about it a little bit yesterday where where did you come down on this whole thing yeah i mean he he got most of the facts wrong um like they're i think they threw it about 51 percent of the time last year ran at 49 yep um and it's funny in that game that was the, the wake forest game was the one where Pickett did the fake slide yep um and ran for 58 yards for a touchdown and so that was their that was their big run play if you take right. that out of the equation which is even a, worse a scramble yeah. by the way they ran for like 70 yards in that game no. um so they they were not just running it down wake's throat nor did they need to they scored 45 points look i think it's fair to wonder i mean mark whipple you know this is a place that loves to run the football deep down like they still do people want to see that and uh, there is that question, like, how's this all going to fit together? Um, is Mark Whipple going to pay enough respect to that? Um, how's the blend with, like, you know, some of this op- some of like the option stuff they were doing, triple option stuff that was actually one of their more successful staples last year? Is that completely out of the playbook now? So there are fair questions about how it's all going to work. Um, but what is not fair is to knock a coordinator who had his best year of coaching almost last season and put Pitt football on the map for the first time in a long time with a Heisman candidate, 42 touchdowns, seven picks. So it was a it was a bizarre take. But Mark Whipple is going to do some different stuff according to what, you know, you go back to some spring interviews. I remember James Carney talking about like third and two, you know, he might throw it on third and two. Like he's gonna he's gonna go outside the box a little bit. So people do have to get used to that. And an interesting dynamic to this is you're playing a team the first week that was horrible against the run last year. And so if Nebraska comes out in this game in Dublin and it's a little pass happy and uh, you know, they scuffle a little bit on offense, there are gonna be some critiques right away about like, wait a second, you're going against a squad that 
you know, gave up more than like 40 rushing yards than any other team in the Big Ten per game last year. Why can't you just run it down their throat? So sort of the questions about what Whipple wants to do and also who they're playing the first week and what their weaknesses were a season ago, that all comes together as sort of an interesting uh, connection of things. Yeah, that's um, that's a good way to, to summarize it too because there's going to be a lot of kind of armchair quarterbacking off of that first game against Northwestern regardless of, of what happens. And the way that that Northwestern defense looked against Nebraska running the football is only going to – to kind of enhance that. I, I think one of the hot topics, at least to me, and I, I know you do the same radio circuit that I do, I feel like I've been asked so much about Anthony Grant in the last week and a half that uh, I I think that everyone is, is kind of expecting that Anthony Grant would be the one getting that first carry. Uh, are you are you ready to, to say that, or do you think that it could still be Ramir Johnson's job? Um. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have a 1A yet. Um, I think Brian Applewhite has opened up the idea that someone could surprise him too. Um, I think Ramirez is going to play a lot, and I think Anthony Grant's going to play a lot. So um, I don't know. I think it is going to take a few weeks of actual game action to say, okay, who's the guy who really stirs the drink here? Um, but Ramirez has more proof than anybody else so far. and. The thing they can do with Ramir that Whipple's going to like is you can he's got such good hands. And you can move him out of the backfield, I think, and get him in the slot in some matchups where he's, he's going to create some problems for defenses. So um, I think they're going to want to do that a lot with Ramir. I mean, you think about the times he touched the football – he had a high efficiency rate of big plays last year. Like, you know, against Oklahoma, he had the big catch down the sideline. Uh, Michigan, he did the same thing on one of Nebraska's prettiest plays of the year. Um, and he ran really well in that game too. And I think people can forget this. I think Nebraska beats Minnesota if Ramir doesn't get dinged when they're driving down inside the five-yard line. Of course, the infamous slip happens a couple plays later. Uh, where Yant's feet go out from under him. But Ramir was running well in that game and had a lot of momentum at the running back position. And so all this is blabber to say, uh, I'm not pushing Ramir to the side by any means because I just think he can do so many different things that he's going to uh, he's going to catch his share, and I think he can pass pro pretty well. And I don't know, he's going to be a hard guy to keep off the field, I think. You want to talk about a play that describes Nebraska football over the last four plus years, five plus years, Ramir Johnson running to daylight in Minnesota. Basically, if he can just make one inside cut and make that guy miss, he has that touchdown on that play. Gets corralled, ends up at, what out at the five, and then Nebraska with four opportunities to just punch that score in, can't do it. And I mean, that's just everything set up so well for this momentous game changing situation. And even then you're still first in goal from the five and you still can't get it done. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible uh, to think about how many times Nebraska had the opportunity out in front of them, just didn't do it. So we'll, we'll leave people with that beautiful, wonderful uh, optimistic viewpoint right there. Anything you want to add as we close out today's pod? Um, 
No, I mean, I, I think uh, it feels like going in every season, you kind of try to talk yourself in, oh, this is really fascinating, you know, this, is, this has got my attention. And some years you force it. This is a this is a strange team and like how it's all come together. Like I don't know what to expect. Like I seriously, when they start that game in Dublin, I have no idea what we're gonna see from this squad. Um, I could see them being in a dogfight where they lose by four points to Northwestern, and I could see them winning by thirty-five. Um, and thirty-three new scholarship guys. Um, Whatever you think about Narduzzi's comments, there's this intrigue of like, what's Mark Whipple all about as Nebraska's OC? What does that look like? What does Nebraska look like in an offense where it's not a QB running it all the time, maybe? Sure. Um, That's a big change. All this stuff is just so interesting. And then like, did they find it with some of these guys they brought in from the portal on defense where, uh, you know, there was all this concern early in 22 about what's it going to look like? Maybe they'll be just fine. You know, if like O'Shawn Mathis, maybe he's a stud. Maybe he's a first-team all-conference guy. We don't know. So there's all these sort of just really interesting things going on with this team. So it is good that we're into it next week. And I think think this is one of the more mysterious Husker seasons we've ever walked into. And I guess that's fun. Yep, absolutely. All right. For BC, I'm Mike Schaefer. We're Husker 24-7. Be sure to check out Husker247.com. All the coverage of Big Ten Media Days coming up here in Indianapolis next week. We'll be back with another podcast following Big Ten Media Days, getting everything summed up as we dive right into fall camp. It is all happening quickly here with the 2022 season upon us. Husker 24-7 is the place you want to be, and we will catch you next week.